Welcome to the 38th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, Shu teaches us the importance of understanding a decision before critiquing it, and what needs to be in place to make the most out of any team. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. All right, welcome to the, I guess, 38th meeting of the Junto Club, where we were inspired by the original Junto Club founded by Benjamin Franklin about 300 years ago to discuss uh, science, technology, business, and anything that, uh, philosophy, and anything that uh, we found interesting to better ourselves and um, so we usually, so today's, we usually start with a quote from Benjamin Franklin, but I think I'm running out of his quotes. <laughs> so, uh, so today's, we're going to start with another, I will consider him as a modern day, uh, char, uh, modern day Benjamin Franklin. And his name is Charlie Munger, of course. And, um, well, and but you know he he's ninety seven so you know he's day's number so hopefully he will, he can stay with that uh, you know but so <laughs> but he could be not modern anytime soon so anyway so let's start start with his quote uh, today so the quote is by Charlie Munger uh, people calculate too much and think too little end quote what do I think. All right, so you ever hear the difference between like data and like knowledge, right? What's what's that? Like like data is like the raw numbers, and then you can go from data to information, which is like the numbers and context, and then information to knowledge, which is like an understanding of like why and what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna assume it's the same paradigm that he's talking about, which is yeah, you can calculate and gather a lot of data, but that doesn't mean you understand what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Is it the correlation is not causation type thing? Like basically, I, don't think so. I mm. wouldn't say that's the same. Yeah, <laughs> you you wouldn't like, say that's the same. I Just wouldn't. like the idea that that's like you can see relationships and numbers that don't necessarily like at, ma- make sense in context or matter in context. Okay, okay. maybe no, it does that, apply. That, that, that <laughs> was just about cause of some science, right? But I mean, mm. he's talking about more like data. You like data like to make a decision is data is not enough right you need to consolidate and make it into some kind of a knowledge right i don't know like connecting dots between all this stuff and then so you can make a better decision right right so mm-hmm. if, i mean otherwise you get just get i don't know information overload stuff like that right okay i can i can see that <laughs> yeah I mean, no, I, I mean i was struggling with it a little bit but i i do i mean matt's explanation did so, so yeah, me. I guess, Matt, what do you mean? But how does that relate to this quote? Uh, well, you know, calculate too much. That sounds to, and think too little. I mean, I, I'm projecting. So this obviously, but calculate too much could be trying to basically gather and get too much data, calculate yeah. too much data mm-hmm. and not to do enough thinking about how it connects and, you know, how to transform that into like meaningful knowledge, right? Okay. Because if you don't understand something, you can just sort of 
you know, it's kind of like brute forcing it, right? You know, mm-hmm. just keep testing things, you know, yeah, get collecting more data, just like looking at more samples and you're not really discovering the underlying process or what's going on. You're just like, well, I don't know what's going on. So I'm just going to like brute force a bunch of data, a bunch of calculations and see, you know, what the result mm-hmm. says. Okay. Which, you know, depending on the domain, that might work, that might not. Mm. What about you, Matt? Mike? No, I mean, I, I think that I, Matt has a good, pretty good take on it. I mean, I'm just trying, like, I was thinking about sort of like, I mean, off we last episode, we talked a little bit about science. And, you know, oftentimes there are studies done where it's like, like, in the studies, like the outcome variable, like is forced essentially to be a number. Mm-hmm. You know, just because that allows for statistical text, like tests to take place and like some level of reproducibility and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes like, I guess the processes that it's looking at, like aren't necessarily like super well suited to like, you know, be discretized or like have some type of number applied to them. But like, mm. so okay. I get, I guess it's just, yeah, I mean, like sometimes it just sort of critical thing, like, I feel like people talk about like studies. I'm trying to think like, like there's always, I, I don't have an example. So I hate that I started the sentence, but cause like, I feel like you always hear about studies of something. Yeah. And like, they'll say like, you know, in the news, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like, blah, blah, blah. Remy's back causing cancer. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, like drinking too much beer, like causes weight gain or so. And it's like, it's just like something so like, yeah, on the nose that it's just like, that like everyone who hears that, like the headline is like, well, of course, like why that, why would you need to study that? But Mm. so, I, I mean, I don't know that, uh, I mean, I guess it's just like, I guess there's some, if you apply critical thinking, to a lot of problems, you can get the answer faster than, as Matt says, just like test, 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 like, you know, test again. Mm. I think you're, I'm going to go back on what I said slightly earlier, but you know, the correlation causation, that's like a subset of this too, right? Cause like yeah. you say, yeah, you don't understand the underlying cause effect, but you can just calculate, you know, with a bunch of data, you know, some, maybe it is a sh- even strong correlation. Then you just say, Hey, I'm not going to think about it. Here's all this data that we did, you know, and these lines that show the, 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 the effect, right. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, get led to the wrong conclusion. Okay. Right. And I, I mean, okay. I, well, I was just going to say like, does the, I guess people do too much computation. Like, but I mean, is he saying that people seek out, too much data or is he saying people are doing maybe even it's like computation with like insufficient data too like i mean Um, to i'm not sure i mean yeah it's open to interpretation right but for me i my interpretation is that he i mean what i think about is that he thinking he's saying that you calculating is almost like try to balance different like uh, like calculating between different choices, right? You are data mm-hmm. crunching the numbers, try to get a uh, uh, to make a better decision. But I feel like it's like also calculation sounds to me is very nice small part of something. You focus on you doing something, but you didn't, you never really pause and think about a bigger picture. You know, sometimes you know maybe pause and think about a problem a bit more. 
And instead of like just go right and calculate right away, maybe you use like I feel like you became a uh tunnel vision, right? So what if you pause and think a little bit instead of like just doing busy work, maybe you will have a better way of like uh doing stuff. I don't know, maybe better decisions and stuff like that. So that's my interpretation of that. Yeah. Like not not focus on small thing and then not like thinking about a bigger picture, maybe. Slow down and think about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, on uh, I I I think this is our main topic today, Shu. But something like team conflict, yeah. like if you uh you know basically like uh, if two people are arguing, like I guess you know uh, like if like you have very overt conflict and they're like screaming at each other, like I mm-hmm. guess the basically like if you look at some, like the computation might be like oh the you know we basically don't want people yelling at each other right mm-hmm. so it's like you do whatever like you do the simplest thing to end the yelling mm-hmm. which you know i i mean maybe to just be like hey stop like like parents with their kids right their kids are butting heads and fighting and the parents just tear them off of each other and put them in opposite corners yeah. but that doesn't necessarily like solve the conflicts that just exactly. like stops the fighting so. actually yeah that's one thing about parenting <laughs> about conflict actually like teamwork actually conflict is actually it's a good thing right and then parents are stepping sometimes too early to uh let the con try to dissolve the conflict actually they should just let the conflict and then the uh, kids fight it out and actually he actually is healthier for the for the kids because they they come to a re- resolution maybe and then they just you know and they became actually a builder's stronger bond too like in kids like siblings also in teams too right so it which is the main topic of today which i forgot to mention the five mm-hmm. dysfunctionals five dysfunctions on the team so we're going to talk about it later <laughs> yeah so yeah so actually yeah talking about this quote one, one more thing i think it reminds me of like einstein saying like when solving a problem i think 99 percent of the time just thinking about thinking about the problem and then one percent is just like actually doing the work to solve the problem right and, and sometimes something like that is like 99 or 90% of the time you should solving a problem you should think about it and then 10% of the time you should you know solve it right I don't know well <laughs> have I you heard you, yeah I haven't heard that but my thought is I understand why an Einstein would say that both because <laughs> of what he studied and how smart he is <laughs> though I don't think for most people it works quite that well <laughs> yeah like uh but yeah, no, because if you don't think about a problem, you're actually going to be solving the wrong, wrong problem. You're going to waste time doing all the, the calculation and stuff, busy work. Well, if you spend most of your time thinking about a problem, actually, the solution will come, you, the, you will come to the right solution when you execute it, is, you know it's the right solution, right? Mm. As Shu told me way back when, there's nothing more practical than a good theory. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I got it from somewhere. I yeah, I know. Theory. I figured you did, but yeah. Yeah. I think that is a like, control theory. All people say control theory is not like, useless. I think that's one thing that came out like, like science and control theory. Oh, um, so last thing before I go on, like you're talking about studies, I think. Have you guys realized, noticed that, at least for me personally, I feel like PhD like, research, and I go through the PhD program and doing the research, I feel like it made me, actually more skeptical of honest studies out there. Like whenever people say, oh, studies show something, I was like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I just don't believe it. It's just like my first thought is like, okay, it's probably because when you go through the process, like doing science and research, you feel like, 
oh, this is so easy. It can be easy, easily fake, right? You can very easily manipulate the data to show whatever you want to do. So I said, oh, damn, this is, I, I, so I can, so when, so when I see people and I have published study research, okay, the first thing is that, okay, is that really true, right? So it made me more spec- skeptical of not science methods, not scientific methods or science at this point, more like the studies that scientists have been doing. So yeah, no, so that's why I say I always like, I believe in science. I just don't believe in scientists. <laughs> no, that's a good, that's a, I mean, that's a good saying, I think. And yeah, like, I mean, that's kind of why science is supposed to be focused on, you know, reproduction and like the, you know, community just mm. finding the same thing. So a one-off paper shouldn't be trusted, you know, that much. It's, mm. you know, if one paper says something once, you should say, that's an interesting idea. Like it still has to be verified, right? right. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I basically agree. I, I Like I, I even like, I would say the vast majority of scientists and researchers are probably giving the best effort. It's just also like, I mean, you're dealing with like when scientists take on a problem, it's sort of like they're taking on like a very small piece, right? Like, it's just like, here's a very small sample of data and like assuming best effort. And yeah, like the most of them are just totally making up data. It's like, here's the outcome variables we defined. Here's the, like the, uh, what we're saying those outcome variables mean. Um, and so in like a small population, what they show may hold true, but it may just be sort of like a artifact of like a pretty small sample of people. And, you know, you need a lot of people to like take their shot at like looking at the same problem in different ways and with different people. And if you get pretty consistent results, then that's a good sign that it's something to be trusted. If it's a one paper, yeah, it's pretty hard Mm. to trust. Mm. So Sounds good. So does does PhD like research make you less like more skeptical of things? I guess. Yeah, I've read a lot of bad papers. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Just not just me. Then. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. this is a large trend for everything, though, right? Like when you don't know and you just see something from the outside, you're like, oh, this looks so complicated or hard or impressive or whatever. Mm. And then like ninety five percent of the time, if you like go learn it, you're just like oh, that's really simple, actually, or it's mm. not that interesting, or, you mm. know, whatever, yeah. whether it's like the math subject or, you know, programming or, yeah, like a paper, mm. you know, things always seem Mysterious. much more just involved yeah. and uh, when you're on the outside. Yeah. And usually they're not. Okay. Sounds good. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway. All right. <laughs> Shall we Does go mean we're on to many stories? Yeah, and the mini topics. All right, because I'm excited for this one. <laughs> Time for my, uh, you know, this can be a new section of our podcast. Matt's <laughs> shitting on blockchain technology section. <laughs> All right, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, but this is an interesting story because I learned that there's a thing called Ethereum Classic. Yes. That was the original Ethereum blockchain separate mm-hmm. from the current, more popular Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. So the story of how this came about is uh as a result of the first DAO, decentralized autonomous organization mm-hmm. like five something years ago someone made the first DAO, and then people mm-hmm. in ethereum were super hyped about it because they're like this is you know amazing right the DAO is going to do all these things so they put a ton of ethereum was invested into it apparently 14 percent of all ethereum was invested into this first what DAO. was the DAO designed to do I don't know if it was designed to do 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know oh, okay. what it was designed to do. I think it was, it was something, sorry, I think it was something along, I read this. It was something along financial investing without like mm-hmm. a middleman. So I think yeah. the idea was like, you'd invest your money and it would somehow do something. And then, uh, or your Ethereum or whatever, it would invest it, but there'd be no middleman, maybe just like use the DAO to be like a group consensus on how things are invested. Yeah. And then like, so it's like, oh, it will like cut the, you know, the middleman profits out, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. So anyway, the long and short of it is, well, what are DAOs? They're, you know, they're NFT tokens or whatever. They're, I don't even know what you call them. They're tokens that have code in them, right? It's on the Ethereum blockchain. Smart investment. contract. Smart contracts. That's the term I'm looking for. <clears throat> and that means their code is public. Um, so yeah, so people looked at it and some guy was like, oh, look, there's like a flaw in this code. Long story short, they release, you know, they release the DAO, uh, people invest. He uses the open source code to uh, figure out a vulnerability and steals a third of their investment, almost 5% of all the Ethereum. Yep. From the DAO. Yeah. From the DAO. Just a shit ton. Like imagine one guy stealing almost 5% of a currency. (laughs) That's a lot. Uh, yeah. So how much, how much was the total money? Like 60, few hundred. 60 million? It was million? millions even then, and yeah. now it would be even more, right? Like mm-hmm. with Ethereum gotten bigger. Yeah. Um, so now here's the part that gets really interesting, though, because you have this hard fork. You have a split. And basically, the, major, the Ethereum, the people who made Ethereum, and the major players in terms of like miners and stuff who kind of, you know, run the main network and things, uh, decided to, yeah, do this hard fork where they reset the blockchain before the guy stole it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and kind of undid it. Yeah. And then there are some other people who are like, no, that's kind of against the spirit of what this is all supposed to be about. But what's really interesting is because you, if you, as you've told us stuff about this, and I've read it on my own and see other stuff, you know, people talk a lot about like, you know, the blockchain technology is different because you don't, it's decentralized and there's no authority you can step in and do things. It's immutable is one mm-hmm. thing they'll say, right? Like yeah. it's forever. Mm-hmm. Another is code is law. Mm hmm. This basically showed all of that is not true, at least mm-hmm. on how Ethereum implemented it and is, yeah. you know, probably the second largest blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the end, when something major happened, the cent- the main people who run it, the central powers, uh, just decided no and yeah. undid it. Mm-hmm. And it is takes a lot more effort than with banks. And to some degree, some people think it's a good thing that they can step in, right? Because other people complain oh, you know, it's good that banks have the ability to like overturn fraudulent transactions yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is more difficult for them to overturn things for sure than, than the traditional banking system. But uh, it kind of showed, well, this is something I was thinking anyway, I'm like, because mm-hmm. before I heard this, I'm like, Ethereum like doesn't really seem decentralized in any meaningful sense, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like this kind of showed, yeah, it's not really decentralized. There's parts that are decentralized in the in the verification process, but mm-hmm. yeah. well, they had also had to overturn all transactions, right? Not just the theft of the five percent, right? Because you can't undo a single transaction because the right. way the blocks append and build off each other, so they reset to an earlier block, mm-hmm. right? So that's um, like which if you- undid everything for you know an entire and i mean that's another thing people bring up right like well the traditional banking system one person's fraudulent charge they can give you your money back on your card or whatever right Right. but the blockchain like people actually if they exchange like a digital good for like you know part of and you know yeah whatever like ethereum then 
they just said, all right, oh, I got fucked. Like, yeah, they essentially people who wanted to stay on the main Ethereum network or continue. I mean, I guess I don't actually know too many of the technical details. Like, did people end up with wallets on both Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, right? Why would you give up your tokens on either one, right? You probably held on to both. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to repurchase something on the new Ethereum chain, you probably you had to redo it, right? Because they reset stuff for some amount. Of, I don't know how long the reset was. Probably wasn't that long. Right. But still, even if it's just a day or two, right? That's a lot of transactions. Mm. So, so anyway, interesting story. So, so the Ethereum community is divided into two groups. One is the Ethereum, which is the new Ethereum, and then the Ethereum Classic, right? That's right. So Ethereum did a hard fork and reset. Ethereum Classic continued the original blockchain with the stolen Ethereum, yeah. you know, as a valid thing. So what's the what's the decision? Why why did like, the founder of like, Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, like, why did he on a, the founding team, why did they decide to fork it? What's the reasoning behind it? I, I mean, I didn't read anything beyond they wanted to, you know, undo the fraud and get the money back. Gotcha. Because it's controversial, right? It's very controversial yeah. because you're supposed to be decentralized, right? And if you do that, you are actually like not decentralized anymore. So I know there's one of controversial, it's a big controversy at, at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like a lot of like, a lot of change right now. Blockchain, like different, there's a different type of change. Uh, they are not decentralized. Even a lot of decentralized, like <laughs> a times organization, they are not decentralized in the beginning either. But uh, most of like Ethereum that like, is getting more decentralized in a way because uh, like the group is like even like the founder like Vitalik Buterin, he doesn't really control Ethereum anymore. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. it's the community making decisions doing it, right? So slowly, I mean, in the beginning, for develop any kind of programming, right? You need someone to write a code, right? So someone had to be controlling it. But slowly yeah. over time, over time, they're designed to like give up control in a way, became more decentralized. So just one maybe- example about, one example about Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is like, there's no so far, so far it's decentralized, right? It's pure decentralization. So that's uh-huh. why a lot of people like love Bitcoin because it's like it's not you you can't point to one person that actually controls it, right? Uh uh-huh. yeah. So mm-hmm. I would say, and there in some senses it might be, you know, becoming more decentralized, but in a lot of instances I think it's the opposite, and we're seeing moves to centralize more stuff, right? Because there's a growing number of you know, middlemen essentially, because mm-hmm. operating with on the blockchain is not just technically hard, but you know, obviously yeah. to mint your own stuff, uh, there's an ever-growing cost in terms of like hardware that you would need to actually mint new blocks and secure transaction transactions. So there's a growing number of middlemen, you know, large companies like OpenSea and other stuff that handles the transactions and stuff, right? They manage your wallets and do the transactions and stuff. And some of them are even trying to do things like, well, instead of well, doing a transaction on the blockchain is expensive, right? Because you have to pay yeah. the gas fee or whatever. Um, so some of them are even doing things like, well, if we have people that are both in our accounts, can we just, our internal system, like do the trade without having to, you know, mm-hmm. put it on the blockchain per se, at least at yeah. first or things like that. These are ideas I've seen thrown out. So with the growing number of these large middlemen institutions, um, and I even see people like appealing them when NFTs get stolen and stuff, which happens a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and stuff it's starting to you know it's some ways it's starting to look like a lot like 
banks and financial institutions again, yeah. but, mm-hmm. you know, remade, they're different um, because they're on a different foundation and, you know, in the different, you know, digital world versus, you know, new age. But it seems in some ways it's kind of like, oh, a lot of this stuff is being remade in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's not like, I mean, the financial system isn't entirely centralized either, right? You have, you know, the banks, the stock markets, the Fed, these are all different institutions that are all acting for their own interest and do different things. Um, but, you know, it's centralized because they're, so I don't know, you know, so blockchains seem like that's happening too, right? Large institutions <laughs> yeah. are ma- mainly control, starting to control them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so here's my interpretation of that like, decentralization idea. So think about that. It's, the idea is pure, right? Pure idea is, idealist is decentralization. But actually, in reality, you probably need to be hybrid. I need to do a little bit of like centralization as well. And it's at yeah. the beginning, very, very beginning. And analogy is thinking about democracy, right? There's no such thing as pure democracy, right? Now, America is or democracy. Or it wouldn't work but... well, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when you implement it in a government, right, you have to have some kind of like non-democracy, uh, not pure democracy. You have to... In implement something as impure democracy in a way. So I think uh, the idea of blockchain is similar. I mean, it's just one way to think about it. And it's just straw analogy, but yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point, right? Like, I mean, the, I think your democracy analogy is good. It's like, ideal, right? It's ideal. Not, yeah, there's but, an ideal yeah. and nothing that works in the real world is always is going to be like perfectly one, you know, yeah. perfectly pure. Even, um, a, even a central idea of why decentralization is good is because of like, a lot of people can form consensus, but the fundamental idea of consensus is a good thing. It's uh, actually it's kind of flawed, flawed too, right? Because a uh, consensus doesn't have doesn't mean it has, it's, it's actually a good thing, right? So yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean it's the right decision. It just means everyone agrees on it, or there is an mm-hmm. agreement, which is you know doesn't mean that's a necessarily a good thing, right? The hope so, is that a lot doesn't of mean people better. Agree. <laughs> yeah means yeah. it's the right decision i mean it's kind of the same thing as democracy your analogy is really <laughs> on point right <laughs> like yeah. it's the idea that's well if we have a lot of people get a lot of people to agree then that's probably better but um Unnecessary, we'll wrap yeah. it up for there yeah, yeah and yeah. you know as much as i shit on this technology i do think there's probably going to be some interesting and good applications for blockchain tech mm-hmm. but the, the more i get learn more details about it the more i uh uh, I feel like that's probably a narrow area where it really applies. Yeah, a lot of people already made an analogy between that blockchain at early days of internet. You got a lot of nice uh, shitty companies like Pants.com and stuff like that. Like they they just like didn't do anything. They just have a name, an IPO, and a lot like you know people just buy in, right? But and they crash. But then but nowadays everybody comes back to the idea. Like Pants.com now that's chewy, right? Pet foods yeah. and then it's like uh, everything's like. Uh, I don't know. It's like, and this moment is actually practical now to do it, right? So that's true. I mean, for any new technology, right, you're going to have time where people are kind of exploring the space and a lot of new things will try and fail. That said, uh, I think there's a meaningful difference between like the start of the internet and the start of blockchain, right? Like, I feel like the internet has very obvious utility that no no one was like, the internet's not important, right? Mm. Like, it's very obvious there's all sorts of things you could do with it. And then since then, we've also learned all sorts of things people didn't think about in the first place. Mm. But, like, Bitcoin came out at, like, I think it was right about the same time as the first iPhone, right? And, like, since then, like... Yeah, 2009, right after the... Like, smartphones have become, like, a thing 
that is all over the world and changed a lot of how our lives live. You know, cryptocurrencies are still, I mean, they've gotten bigger, but the the large majority of people don't have any crypto of anything and don't care about it, right? Mm, Um, So I feel like it's definitely different than the internet or other things in terms of struggling to find that appeal or the, you know, the killer app or the thing that really makes sense for it to be used, right? Mm. I mean, was it obvious? I mean, in the early days of internet, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't the right killer app either, right? I mean, in the early days, they were just sharing information on like super simple websites and servers, right? But even that's like, I mean, sharing information quickly across large distances is, was, I mean, before the internet existed, that's something people still try to do different ways anyway, right? Like, Mm. you know. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead, Mike. Well, no, I was just going to say the internet. I I do think the internet, like, in some sense, like, was just, like, the modern day, or, like, a lot of people thought, like, oh, it's, like, the modern-day Pony Express. Like, we're just going to, like, send emails and, like, messages really fast. But, so, I mean, I don't think anyone would have anticipated, like, or it may have been few people who anticipated, like, YouTube. Like, oh, people are going to take a thousand pictures a day, and there's going to be, like... Yeah. massive terabytes of information uploaded every half second like worldwide well, but i mean before the internet existed didn't they have like star trek with you know well i mean you still have things like tv and stuff and they had like star trek where they'll like yeah. show you on a screen talking to someone else i don't right. think it was that big of a leap to be like oh with the internet and things maybe one day we you can, can do that do yeah. that over the internet hmm. like at the snap and i you know no. Like I said, I'm sure there's a lot people didn't think about, but I think there's very obvious and easy conclusions you could draw of like, oh, this will probably happen in the future. Well, I also think about, I, I more think it's a good point that like we've had sort of blockchain for a while and there have been a lot of smart people thinking about like, what can we do with this? And mm-hmm. nothing is necessarily hit yet. So, or hit in as general population yet. So, because mm. I mean, well, smart... Uh, yeah i was just gonna say smartphone like they conceptualized that like in like the 90s it just we didn't have like the infrastructure like there was a company like trying to do it in like the 90s but we just didn't have the like infrastructure for it so Mm. yeah also uh did you mention pony express yeah he did say the pony what the hell is pony express like the mails, like like before there was a post office, you'd send someone on a horse to deliver messages to people. Oh, it was called Pony Express. Yeah, yeah. is it actual turn? Or is it, did you just invent it? No, I've I heard of that. I don't I know think... if I like. I don't know if that was a it was a company. It was a specific company, I guess, in the past. Pony Express, yeah. not bad. Okay. So, so yeah. Uh, Talking about like decentralization and centralization, actually, I think it's very good segue into my next uh, topic. It's called Chesterton's Fence. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Did you guys read it? I did. Article? Should we have? Yeah, of be course. Better to be fresh. You tell that's us. That's no point. I know. That's no point. I posted it so you can you can read it and explain <laughs> it to audience because I'm I I'm very bad at explaining stuff to people. So practice makes perfect. So anyway, so in a nutshell, Chesterton's fence is uh, basically, a, as a, an article, is uh, Chester's 
Chesterton's fans a lesson in second order thinking, basically thinking about unintended consequences. And the fans, what, what, in a nutshell, what he says is that do not remove a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place, mm. right? Because mm. nowadays we see a lot of like maybe new generation of like uh, people come around and say, and then you see maybe you see an old fence like in the middle of the road, right? And you say, oh, why is the fence here? It's not useless, so let's turn it down. But you, but there's unintended consequence of doing that, right? Because you don't know why it was put out in the first place, right? People did not, you know, spend t- time, waste energy to pull out a fence for no reason, right? So basically that's what, what it means. So it's caution that you need to understand why something is there in the first place before you turn the thing down. So a related note is about banks and centralization, I guess, right? Decentralization is always like, oh, let's scary out the banks and then this, let's make it decentralized better. But I I think uh what your what you talked about earlier made me think about maybe these purists about like decentralization they don't really I don't think they understand enough like why centralization was there in the first place right right like and why the banks and financial systems do what they do no, and act as they do yeah and the way it is so maybe so that's one example you can think about it like. Maybe decentralization. There's a reason since decentralization is since centralization is there. Before you understand why it's there, don't try to remove it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it certainly down. not that no one could improve the banking system we have, but I do think there, yeah, there are people who don't understand why the things are, and then so they're remaking it and then relearning like painful lessons about like, oh, yeah, know, this is why this was, you know, this is why things were like this because. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now you you can apply it to your organizations, right? Now, uh, organizations, your team, your other stuff, your life, and whatever you encounter every day, you probably see a lot of nice stuff that doesn't make sense to you as you walk through the the I don't know, living your life or something like that. But it's nice, a lot, I think a lot of nice maybe governments, right? There's a lot of policies that doesn't really make sense to you at first glance, but uh. Actually, there's a you know, there might be a good reason for it, right? So, and it's you, it's, it's not saying that you know that 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 is like not removing anything, not getting rid of any fence, but the caution is that you need to understand why the reason behind it in the first place before you do anything about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was okay. thinking a lot about Matt's favorite topic, like housing policies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like understanding if the fence is like, is this you know, like we can't build a skyscraper here because like it's not sustainable for that particular infrastructure, or like just because the people in the area petitioned like because they didn't want a skyscraper there, and that's like it, which fence is it, I guess, and that may depend yeah. on the location. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you understand why they really understand why they don't want a skyscraper in the first place, then you can change it, right? You don't just go in and change it right away because, oh, because you want to ask guys very prepared. But if you understand what the people, the, the, the reason behind their decision, then you can actually change it. If you think it's unreasonable, then doesn't apply anymore. Then you, you know, yeah, you should change it, right? So Yeah, there's a, yeah, in the general sense, there's a lot of talk these days about like, at least from the Republicans are like, oh, we got to get rid of all these like dumb regulations. And yeah, I think a nuanced view is needed because there are too many regulations and there are bad regulations but some of them are important some of them are not you know mm-hmm. how do you tell which is which 
you know. And yes, the first one that comes to my mind when I think bad regulations is I think a lot of housing policy and its zoning <laughs> and the tremendous harm they've done to, you know, our entire country and economy. But, you know, for the purpose of people maintaining, you know, people not wanting change or to inflate their own house's value, which yeah. are not good reasons. Yeah, cool. Can you think of any other examples come to mm. your mind? I mean, yeah, if not, it's fine. That's I just I think you think you, you talk about one already is the regulation, housing stuff. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's a good it's a good analogy though. You're right. Like if you if you can understand why something was done, then you have a much better idea of if it's a good idea to remove it or how to improve it or to avoid making the same mistake. Yeah. And then like you as you said, it doesn't mean never change what's done. It just means to evaluate. Um, mm. It's, well, it's like sort of, I guess, whenever you ask a question, like sort of the researcher in, in you wants to say, like, I mean, like the first step of answering any question is basically doing like a huge review of like what's been done. And that's because, mm -hmm. and actually, like, I was at a meeting um, and a point was brought up that was actually pretty good. Like uh, there was like, it was the, I don't remember her name, but she was at Berkeley and she was like the grandmother of robotics. And she, she basically argued, like, we always publish these papers saying like what worked really well, but she's like, we are like, you know, that's how we try to present the work. Like I did this and it worked really well, but she's like, we don't have like papers published or very rarely that it's like, this didn't work at all. Like these are the four things we did that didn't work at all. And we it, like, basically it's like, you know, a year of wasted time. She's like, whether it's like published in a different type of, you know, journal or paper or whatever, like those should exist. And that would sort of help, I guess, maybe understand why people did what they'd like, give a better context about like why the fence is where it is. So for a particular problem. Mm -hmm. so. So, mm. so you say Berkeley, the grandmother of robotics? Yeah, yeah. Who the uh, hell is that? Not Cynthia Brazil? She's at MIT. No, no, no. I don't know. This uh this was an older professor. I'm trying oh. I don't remember her name. It had to be the PI meeting probably for the you know whatever grant I was cool, on. Oh cool. All but, right, all right. No, she was yes. But that was I, I liked her point, like basically like you know, people make decisions for not what like I mean, there are some papers you read where you're like, oh, this isn't doesn't seem to be a particularly good paper. And part of the reason maybe it's like not that good of a paper is like they had to make considerations based on what didn't work or what like doesn't exist yet. But they sort of gloss that over and it would be useful to like be like, okay, like, you know, they tried to, you know, go for a home run, but the home run failed for these reasons. So like... You know. Oh, so now you're talking about like paper have doesn't have good result, but they do have like uh, talk about stuff and they try and it did not work. Yeah, I mean essentially, they yeah. experiments. I, I, yeah, a lot of paper just like produce result. Oh, this is a good experiment, but not a lot of paper talk about like fail experiments. So, right. It, I think it's too idealistic to have like you know entire papers on just negative results, but maybe you could have like a section or appendix that says. You know, here it's like the list of things we did in summary that like didn't work or didn't work well, like on the way to like solving this. Like that would be nice. That would be more reasonable and nice, right? To be able to like, oh, we tried X, Y, Z. 
Yeah. Now, I, this is an idea that I've had, but it, like in, in a way, again, democratizing publication. But like rather than just having like people write journal articles, you know, it's like, hey, I worked on this for six months to a year. And it's like now I'm going to put like the best of in like a conference or a journal paper. Like basically people write sort of like blog posts that like <laughs> honestly just like an NLP, like fucking algorithm, uh, just like distributes to people with like ideas and like projects going on. <laughs> And, and basically it's just like, Hey, this is sort of what we're working on this week. And like, here are some basic results. And like, I mean, you can organize it into like final papers, but like, if there wasn't like, like the constant concern of people stealing ideas and like wanting to get credit, like, you know, in a paper with citations and stuff, it would be nice if it was just like, sort of like, Hey, every week I'm going to write like, a couple paragraphs and just like share like here's what I'm doing because that would actually facilitate like things like that like hey we spent the last two weeks on this it didn't work at all so we're just abandoning it or whatever so hmm. but I I think even in academic settings and like I get why it's just too competitive because hmm. that you know if you have a good idea people will steal it and if you have lots of bad ideas then i guess uh, people won't replicate them in parallel so it's you know you're giving people to uh, you know a head start on you basically <laughs> so all right all right charleston fence what so that was called charleston's fence yeah chesterson's chesterton chesterton yeah all right you should read an article. It's pretty that. interesting, anyway. So, all right. So, cool. Let's uh, let's get into the main topic. Actually, the five dysfunctions of a team. Did you guys sounds... look? And Anis look at the picture. Anis. Yes. Also, this sounds like um, like a clickbait article that you get on like an ad for a website. Why? Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> actually, then I mean, book title, and that's how it should be, right? It's, it's always should. Clickbait. Not clickbait, right? Now, what's the, otherwise, what's the point of you opening the book, right? Uh-huh. Night one, my favorite, favorite book is the four-hour work week. You know, it's a good title. Right? You say, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so you want to outline? Yeah, Matt, can you outline the uh, five dysfunctions for class? I can't. This is your topic, Shu, and uh, <laughs> this is the book you read. I think you need to outline it. Okay, all right. So the model is actually is forming a pyramid shape. Uh, so in the, in, the, in the bottom base of the pyramid, the first dysfunction is the absence, absence of trust. Mm-hmm. The second is the fear of conflict. And then number, the third dysfunction is lack of commitment. And mm-hmm. then the fourth dysfunction is avoidance of accountability. And then the fifth dysfunction is inattention to results, mm-hmm. right? So these are basically the five dysfunctions. So, yeah, let's go diving to absence, the first dysfunction. Since it's not from trust, I guess it's the trust, right? The absence, absence, absence of trust. So what do you think that means for you guys? 
you don't trust your team. Like, so, I mean, on uh, like any team, the purpose of having a team is people special, like specialize at least to some degree in what they're doing. And if you don't trust people to like do their job, then, you know, it's gonna lend you to, I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, it's basically going to make you question them potentially micromanage, um, or and or potentially not care about your job as much uh, if you don't trust them to do there as well. So, yeah, I mean, so on a team, if you, everyone trusts each other to do what they're supposed to do, then it allows you to just focus on what you're supposed to be doing and do the best okay. you can on it. So. Sounds good. Um, what about you, Matt? Oh, I mean, I think I'd say pretty much the same thing. Like... Yeah, if you have to, if you don't trust your team, that implies you're going to either have to check their work or redo stuff or do stuff on your own and not rely on your team, which kind of removes the point of having a team, which is that they'll do stuff so you don't have to, right? So it might not be the main reason to have to. Yeah, but that's you know the goal, right? Let's, yeah, I guess let's rephrase again. So, what does trust mean for you guys? Uh, trust would mean. Like you don't have worry or concern that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Like you mm. trust that they'll get what they're supposed to do done and, you know, do it well enough. Yeah. Okay. That's basically, yeah. I mean, I believe, I believe in their abilities to do what they say they're going to do. Basically. Mm. Okay. So, gotcha. Believe, well, I, 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 maybe abilities is the wrong word, but abilities and follow, like will actually follow through on what they say. So. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. So I guess uh, you you guys are very much focused on the work wise, like getting the more like functional trust in a way, like function. Mm. Like you you trust your teammate to do something. Yeah, it's ability. Like they're competent to do it, right? But for this, uh, I guess the the author on the book is about anything. It's applied to any team. Is that the ability to trust? Is the ability like to be I, this is a really like uh, squishy turn when I'm vulnerable to your teammates, right? Which means like uh, you can open up to your teammates, right? You trust like it's not like you just like you know like a therapy session or something. It's more about like whatever you say, like you can, like you can, you very you can very easily open up to your teammate about your own weaknesses, right? About your own weakness, like what you are bad at, and what are you. Uh, maybe your strength and weakness, mostly that weakness. Also, like call, like have the trust to trust your teammate to. Like uh, if you say something, you criticize criticize them, something you are uh, you trust that they will not be offended because they 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 you you are a team. You trust each other, right? You know they is coming from a good for the for the for the good on the team. It's not like it's not it's not like personally attacking you. Like you say, yo, you. You're not doing your job correctly. You suck or stuff like that, right? It's more about have a trust that you are uh, have a your team have very good intention to, toward each other. So you can like trust them to open up to be uh vulnerable, I guess, in a way, right? So like uh, you can you know openly talk about your uh personal or personal or just work wise, right? You can talk about your issues, open to debate, you know, just keep talking, right? So you are not worried about hurting like. Uh, the other person, like offending the other person or something like that, right? By calling them out or something, right? Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not like not holding back with the other, right? So a lot of times, because uh, if you just like 
thinking about oh you trust your teammate to do actually to get the work done but actually when you it's more about i guess the, the, the book is more about in the context of like not an engineering team more like executive team right so that, i think because you guys both have been in probably not very engineering team focused right so that's why you've so trust is so like you 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 don't really make you don't make like big the decision about company right the direction of company a team direction right you were talking about like working in a team also most like uh execute executing a decision already like are uh, some decisions about like implementing some uh, robotic algorithm or something or robotic uh stuff like that right so that kind of uh i think even in that team actually if you don't trust each other sometimes you are afraid of criticizing other teams i your teammates ideas and you just oh that's a good idea just let's just execute it right you don't spend enough time like crit- criticizing it so that's that's why actually why i really enjoy working with matt during the dark part of robotic challenge because when i have an idea throw it out there he always say oh this is a terrible idea because <laughs> even though he shut and shut me down because i actually enjoy it because he's he actually like I wasn't really offended at the thing. I actually enjoy it because I, I like my idea being challenged, right? So even when you shut it down, when I, I'm so excited about Bitcoin, blockchain and stuff, you always, oh, this is a terrible idea, which I, I actually <laughs> like that when you challenge me on that. So she, she on my idea. So yeah. So actually, so, so that's because actually you learn from there, right? So yeah. Right. Well, yeah. So I mean, I, the way I guess I'm thinking about this is like, I guess you're, t- uh, so these are teams, as you talk about like an like executive level, maybe it's like Matt and I were framing what we said more on like an engineering team side where it's like, yeah, yeah. basically you have like a very clear goal and it's just like, you know, different, like it, you can break down that goal into like sub pieces and each person can execute a piece of it. But, um, on an executive team, it's almost like it's not like the goal isn't necessarily as clear and the and, exactly. and the team is working like I guess a, a, the team is a, is a bunch of like interpersonal relationships almost mm-hmm. like so it's like you need like in order to like move toward the goal like you need a like solid like the trust is more about like I know this person like values me as opposed to like, like, like that allows you to criticize them, right? Like if you know, there's sort of like a value there and the person respects you like that, that allows you to like criticize the idea without like the the person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's going to be a big difference when you have, you know, things that can't be broken down into individual tasks and just get like distributed out to everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. When you have an executive team making one decision together, the yeah. dynamics are going to be different, more complicated. Yeah. Even, even with, I think, I think even though it's more, the book is more focused on executive team. I, I, I think that, uh, applies to engineering teams as well. Right. Even the part yeah. of breaking things down, like how do you break things down? If you, just assign team to your, you know, people that working in your team, right? How do you assign it? And that's if you don't have debate when you assigning it. Some people might take the may might take the task without debating, but then they might not be very committed to the task. They just do it because you know, it's the team agreed to it. But they may, for example, during the meeting, right? You were assigning tasks, and this per um, the person that 
maybe afraid of speaking up because they don't trust. They they have some trust, but they don't have no like enough trust to speak up. Say, oh, I don't really like to do this test. And I would say, oh, maybe I'm bad at it, right? And I'm not really actually good enough to do this test. It's afraid of like the team mem- other team member who say, oh, you are admitting your weakness or you suck. That like, you should just get you know get fired or something, right? So. When there's no trust like that, you know, and then they so they will take the job, they will take the task, but you actually delay the team, right? The goal of team because they are not actually using their strength. They may maybe there's other tasks that better suiting them, but they were afraid of speaking up because, you know, they were afraid of like saying, "Oh, I'm I'm I, you know, I might not be the best person for the for the task." Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there's just many, like trust is so, cause I like the more we talk about this, like, okay, so a team essentially is like, I guess a general definition could be a team is a collection of individuals working toward a common goal, right? Yes. So, and then, so as you like, so assuming this goal isn't like, you know, just super well-defined and very easy, you know, like it isn't something that's just obvious to break down. There's sort of like step one is to define the goal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, st- and I guess step two would be, yeah, like sort of breaking down the goal into like subtasks or like some like sort of waypoints, like to help achieve the goal. And step three would be like handing out, you know, those tasks as they come up and then, Step four, you know, et cetera, would be like more like the implementation of and carrying out of. So, I mean, you can have tr- like, it's like I could trust someone to be like, oh, that's a really, like that person's really good with I- like ideas. Like that, uh, that person comes up with like really interesting ideas when it comes to like defining the goal. Like they have a really good sense of like, you know, financial constraints and, uh, you know, whatever else may factor into like our goal you know, for what we're trying to solve. But that person is kind of lazy when it comes to actually carrying out their weight. <laughs> so it's like, like they'll come out with an idea, but they won't like implement it well if I give them too much or too big a sub problem. Mm. So, so it's like you can trust someone in some respects, but not trust like, you know, in, in one step of the process, you can be like, this person's good at this, but not so good at this. So actually, for me, uh, you, again, I think you're still thinking in terms of like capable competence and capabilities, right? Let's assume you know everybody's competent, but I think the trust actually in your in your scenario actually is, is a good example too. So the trust, if you so example, if your team have trust, that means you will tell the person, call out the person, hey, you are being lazy on that, right? You actually call out a weakness. But if your team does not have trust, you be afraid of telling the person that you feel like he's lagging behind, not putting his way. That's well, the difference between uh, the thing with trust and the thing without trust. Not, not you trusting his ability to do stuff. It's more like trust in a way. Interpersonally, you can not afraid of calling out a person when he's not putting his weight. I mean, I guess, I, I guess that you it, don't agree it, with that trust definition of trust. Well, I, I just feel like it's not as binary as that, right? It's like, yeah, I could trust, like, I could say to like one person, there could be one stage in the process where I feel like this person has proven that they're like a good idea, man. Like, we've talked through ideas before, and it's like, 
hey, like, I'm not feeling this idea. Here's why. And I feel like he could receive that well. Whereas, like, maybe they're, you know, sort of moving, like, you know, they're a new engineer, like, you know, they're sort of like, they haven't necessarily been as part of the engineering processes before. And I need to sort of, like, frame that differently. Like, there's less of a um, rapport there. Uh, you know, compared to like the talking out of ideas, there's less of a rapport when it comes to, oh, this person is new in, um, and they may be more sensitive to like how I handle that conflict there. Like, I mean, like as someone who's relatively new, like when it comes to like making presentations or something like, or talking to like clients of a company, like I'm, that's something I would be like new at. Like, so it's like, I feel like my boss probably like handles like me, like versus like a research, like the research I do, he may be more quick to be like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Versus like if I, a presentation, he may like handle me differently. So I guess there's like different levels of trust there about like how I'll respond to critique or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I was talking about, I mean, you say new member of a team, right? New member, of course, it took took a while. Good, you need to build trust in the first place, right? Yeah. So yeah. So I guess uh, for the for the book, I guess the the more focus about the interpersonal like trust. Not yeah, it's not really focused on your ability to do stuff. It's more like how do you trust your team member to you know to call each other out to have good conflicts, right? which actually leads to, I think we mentioned, I think you talk about it too, to the, so the trust, episode of trust is the first dysfunctional of the team. And then it's fun, trust is the foundation, basically the big foundation to the team. So if you don't have that, you lead to the second uh, dysfunction, which is the fear of conflict, right? Because uh, uh, if you don't trust each other, you, you actually afraid of debating stuff basically and i talk about like criticize each other right second i think that's pretty kind of does the second dysfunction make sense to you guys yeah i think this one's pretty straightforward well straightforward i mean you already mentioned it in your earlier example talking about how you know i would always tear your ideas down (laughs) (laughs) but uh like yeah if you can't you know if you can't openly you know discuss things and criticize things because you're afraid of conflict or hurting people's feelings or something like that you're not going to come to as good of a conclusion right yeah yeah because a lot of people and i for example i think i me sometimes i'm afraid of asking questions asking stupid questions because oh this is so dumb i don't want to ask this question because but actually because you lack trust in your with the person you were talking right the team Mm -hmm. because uh you know then the question might not it might be a good question right you were just a little bit insecure uh intellectual insecure in front of your team so I'm still working on that, but yeah, still, right. So uh, yeah, so those uh, so yeah, the fear of conflicts, and then yeah. also sometimes there's a yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just gonna say, like, I, I guess that's what I, I'm trying to communicate, which I'm doing poorly, is just like basically, like, yeah, like I and you said it earlier, but like you build trust, but you build trust in different areas, like that, like if you're broaching a new topic with the same people you can like sort of, there can be an absence of trust in that new area, right? Like, so you can feel like, oh, I'm bringing up something that I feel incompetent in in this area. Uh, and it's like, it, you almost need to like reestablish trust with each, with each successive thing, 
Like, well, yeah. Again, I think we, I feel like you really you are just single-mindedly very focused on competence, right? Do you think? What, what do you think, Matt? Do you think Mike is too focused on like competence? Like, uh, trust is not. I feel like if you it's about interpersonal, right? You don't need to view yeah. different areas. That's yeah. what I was gonna say, and I think I'm leaning towards Shu on this one, where Shu slash the book is talking about, yeah, the trust between people and like entrusting the personal relationship and the team relationship as a teammate yeah. what they're focused on uh so if you have a good if you have the relationship good i mean obviously there'll be new things you do new like that might be different than old ones and there might be different types of jobs and stuff and you know people are going to be have different levels of experience and skill at different types of jobs like that's all of course but like the team is still if the team's not changing right the team relationship is the same no matter what Mm -hmm. you know thing you're covering yeah no i mean i guess that's true i mean it's just yeah i mean like the relationship between you and your boss like if you have a good relationship of trust Mm -hmm. then that implies that well with the stuff he Mm -hmm. you know he's okay. He'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to ask him questions in the areas where you don't know. He'll be able to rely on you in the areas he knows you're good at. You know, it goes like the, the trust between you two works, whether it's an area you're good or bad, competent or incompetent at. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. So, so competent or competence is not, it's more about like, if you making a decision between you and your boss or something, maybe you, as a team, right. There's a, if there's a decision, but there's a, conflict between them because because most people don't agree on a decision right always have opinions stuff like that right so if you don't have the trust you're afraid of voicing your opinions like, oh this is a bad decision and your boss is like, oh this is a good decision that's you are basically afraid of like saying oh this is a terrible decision let's do something else right now mm-hmm. it's more about like it's not about dividing up the goal and then which one whose responsibility is not executing it it's more about and a higher level, we're deciding what the goal actually is, right? Sometimes, right. You, sometimes you have a boss that decide on this goal, but you need to speak out if you don't agree with the goal, right? In the first place, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so a fear of conflict, like you see that in a lot of teams, if you see like back teams, I guess they would be afraid of like voicing their opinions, like basically debating, like became very heated. So actually, like, as you talk about earlier, like parenting, right? Like kids, when they have conflict, they, uh, you know, fighting each other, actually, that's a good thing. You need to shouldn't let them, you know, like fight, fight each other out, you know, stuff like that. And instead of like uh, stopping it, right? I mean, no fun, non-conflict. So conflict actually is good, right? Like debates in a team is a good thing, right? Uh, cool. I would say task-based is a good thing task what are you talking about healthy conflict we'll say yeah healthy conflict is good obviously conflict of course <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 of course you you have said very some team members have like very maybe disrupted to the team and stuff like that you know but fundamentally because maybe they do that because they don't trust their team so uh, yeah you have unhealthy conflicts like the two mm-hmm. right yeah yeah so um so which Fear of conflict, actually, if you don't have enough conflict in a team, which would lead to the third dysfunction, which is the lack of commitment. Any thoughts on that? I see how lack of commitment would obviously could be an issue. I don't see how a fear of conflict leads to a lack of commitment. 
Hmm. Because, well, I mean, I guess if you don't want to argue about stuff, you basically just don't put thought into it. You just sort of say yes. Exactly. Like, so. Exactly. Mm. I think Mike nailed it. So he's not... Um, so You'll agree, example, but that doesn't really make you committed. Yeah. Well, well, you have a different idea. Like, I think this should be done this way, but this person said, I think it should be done this other way. And you're just like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, I don't want to mm. say no. So, yeah. Yeah. So even if you go along with it, you're not like mentally on board or, you know, in your exactly. heart, you're not committed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what happens is like if you feel you you did not voice your opinions, right? And then you did not voice like you have a lot of disagreements in a team, like debating a decision, a single decision. You have different direction you want to go in and then you did not voice your opinions. If, if you voice your opinions in a way like, highly debated already and then you still come to a decision right since you voice your opinion already you're debated already you 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 since and then you actually commit to the decision because you kind of since you already i guess voice your opinions already you kind of okay is i i always say the uh, uh i guess voice i mean say what i gotta say right so i'm gonna since this is a team's decision, we, I, I, I'm going to commit it to it because uh, I guess the team already took into account my uh, my opinions and stuff like that, my debate, you know, why it's a bad idea, but they still go for it. But I, I got to commit to this because, you know, this is what team decides, right? So if you did not voice your opinion, you, like, I don't know, holding garage, I guess, okay, I afraid of speaking up and then you'll be less committed to the decision, which is something you guys talk about already. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's like it's something they call like you don't you don't get you don't get buy in to the decision. I guess like you don't mm. commit. You're not buy into the decision, right? If you debate it already, that you voice your opinion, you get buy in basically from every member. So that's why it's important. And then kind of like disagree, disagree, and then commit. That's one of the sayings, right? Disagree and commit. Disagree, then commit, right? <laughs> so yeah. And of course, then the, I guess this leads lack of commitment leads to the fourth, uh, fourth dysfunction with avoidance of accountability. What do you think? This one makes sense to me. You know, okay. in this hypothetical, you know, group executive group, you know, you didn't voice your opinion and have conflict, so you didn't commit or buy in. Mm -hmm. And then when something goes poorly, maybe with the stuff you were doing. You're just like, well, it wasn't my idea. This was just a dumb idea. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to do this in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boom. Well, are you, Mike? No, that's, yeah, I think that's basically it. If you're not committed and you're sort of just half-assing it, then. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. yeah and then it's easy to be like, yeah, that wasn't my fault. Right. Yeah. yeah I wanted to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense too. I think that's, I think that works too. I would say I, I would, from the book, actually, I think it extended a little bit more. It's more about holding your team members accountable, right? So, for example, if I don't buy into the decision, you know, I'm not committed to the decision, if my, my what do you call that? Like my teammate, I see my teammates are executing it and he's not doing it correctly and he's not performing. Mm. Since I'm not committed to it, I would not try to hold my team member accountable because I will not call out, hey, you need to, you're not doing your according to a, a standard, right? So you have a very 
makes it low standard because you don't call out your teammate when you see the the result is bad, right? So whatever mm-hmm. they do is not doing the right thing. So holding your team is, I yeah, I think holding also you apply to your personal. You are not really doing a good job yourself because you not really buy into the decision committed, but also because uh, you try to avoid accountability because you avoid like holding your uh, teammates accountable, which is hard, right? Because if if you think you're not committed because uh, that means you need to confront your teammate, right? To say, hey, you're not doing a good job, which is can be hard, can be very hard, right? So holding other people accountable is even harder in a team, right? Because, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, and it's, that's one of the book interpretation, which I makes sense to me too. Yeah, because you also, yeah. You, of course, it leads to if you don't have trust, you you know you would not hold your teammate accountable because you're afraid of confronting your your teammates, basically. And then, which right. of course, which you resolve in the, 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 the end, of course, that means your team is gonna do a very bad job because you're not calling out your teammates when they are not achieving to the standards, right? Cool. So, all right. The, of course, the last, uh, which the avoidance of accountability leads to the last dysfunction you know, is inattention to results, right? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, if you're, I mean, basically, I think we sort of talked about it already, but it's just, yeah, like when you don't care and you're sort of avoiding accountability, like, uh, you know, so you're not holding your teammates accountable, you're not holding yourself accountable, then mm-hmm. like, you're like, the, it doesn't matter if it's like, good or bad results. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's sort of like, people talk about showing up to their jobs to like, just hammer a paycheck or something. It's like, exactly. you know, I mean, basically, that's what this would be. It's just uh, like, I did my job for eight hours that day. I don't care if I did a good or a bad job. It's I did it. So mm-hmm. What about you, Matt? No, I think, yeah, the same thing. I don't <laughs> have anything insightful to add. Yeah, yeah. So if you, so if I tell your team is not functioning as team, like, for example, you have one single goal for the team. For example, like sports team. I think this is very, might be a good, good analogy to the sports teams, right? For sports teams, right, the, the goal is to win championships, right? In a basketball team, the NBA, to win championships, right? So, in attention to the goal, that means that individually, individual team member, you know, uh, they will actually try to do what's best for themselves instead of what's best for the team, the results, right? So you have, you have like James Harden who try to shoot all three pointers, stuff like that, right? So in the individually, then the athlete might be very, very good. So they will try to go for like, okay, I need I, maybe status. Right, they go like in your in your company, right? You go for status, maybe a salary, as you're talking about the money, and then uh, ego. You try to make yourself look good instead of trying to make the team look good, right? So instead of like try to go for like uh, individual records instead of winning a championship for the team, right? So mm-hmm. so that's why you are. So that's why, yeah. So that's that's the last dysfunction because an individual. Individual team member is actually not focused on a single goal on the team, but actually doing what's best for themselves. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Before you even started the sports analogy, I think that's a really good analogy. And I was thinking about like a lot of this has to do, you know, around individual ego and the idea of like getting the team to, you know, trying to get team members of the team to sort of 
drop that right and mm-hmm. act you know as if they're not an individual in some sense right mm-hmm. like you know trust everyone fully to like share ideas and disagree without worrying about conflict between themselves get everyone to buy in on the same ideas everyone to act like it's their own idea that they're trying to you know do work on and be as care about it as much you know it, it seems a lot of it you could say it's, it's really about being sort of trying to drop your individual person in some sense exactly while you're in the context of working as a team obviously yeah. you don't want to yeah. you don't want to do that forever but yeah actually that reminds me of what uh my definition of team earlier he i think you might you say that a team is a collection of individuals right mm-hmm. actually no if you so if you have if you're a dysfunctional team if your team there's no trust you have a lot of fear of conflicts they have commitment right all these dysfunctions you have a collection of individuals you don't have a team a team is something that's bigger than a collection of individuals right it's like one plus one is equal to two, but if you have a team, one plus one is equal to, I don't know, ten, right? So uh, sure, right. Well, no, I mean, I agree. I think again, we're getting in. So, like, just like with blockchain and democracy and everything else, there's sort of the like ideal versus what's realistic. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yes, ideal. Like, I guess a team, yes, would essentially function such that there's ego death, and you know, they're all work like. They're all totally open with each other and stuff. But I mean, I think that was sort of what I was getting at earlier with like trust. Like, yes, in in an ideal setting, no one would have an ego or no one would have like, you know, uh, sort of an identity and they'd be totally open to expressing any and all ideas with each other. And those would be received in a healthy way. Mm. But that isn't going to happen. And like, there's going to be identity like there's going to be people that like have individual identities and like individual things that like are more and less important to their identities and more and less important that they'll be willing to share. So I guess it's just basically about fostering an environment that's as open as possible to build that foundation. So yeah, of course. I mean, I mean that's a uh, that's why there's so many teams and they're failing out there, right? Because building a like a team is a good team, a functional team is hard, right? It's yeah. very hard. Well, and right? particularly because over egos, time. on the other stuff, right? Well, particularly over time, right? Yeah. B- because the, like, individual identity evolves and that, like, the team, like, the team needs to evolve together yeah, as that. opposed to, like, but oftentimes it's the individuals evolving. Like, there are at least pieces of the individuals that evolve independently and that can, and, like, as much as they may have trust in previous things that they looked at, they mm-hmm. may not have trust moving forward, like, yeah. you know, with as egos grow and change. So, yeah. So, you go ahead. Does the book ever talk about like the military as an example of this? Because I feel like if, if you're going to think of like a good example for like building like a really strong team, mm-hmm. like, I mean, the military has some unfair advantage just right because it can actually like yank people out and just yeah. like isolate them with the team like 24 7 right like yeah remove all of the other things in their lives that would you know could distract them or you know cause diff- conflicts in terms of what their goals or interests are but like you know like the military you know they can like have a team of people that train together learn together get shipped off together fight together right and they do everything yeah. and i feel like if you're going to get an example of like a team that's like the closest to the ideal team uh they that would be it right yeah 
Actually, I the book did not talk about anything about military. However, I read a book called Extreme Ownership by one of the Navy Navy SEALs. He was like mm-hmm. a cap a commander or something, and then he did actually dig up. He talked about that too because the, the Extreme Ownership in the book is is about uh, teamwork basically, like, and it's about ownership, right? Ownership of your like, accountability too, right? He did talk about like uh, something in the military called alignment, like. You commit to the mission, right? Actually, communicate the mission to all your teams, right? So they can have voice and their opinions. Because a lot of times, actually, he 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 did talk about the the illusion that actually military is the easiest way to 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 do to to commit to a mission and just execute it, right? And he actually talked about actually that that is a uh, an illusion actually because uh, is actually it's not easy in military either because military you have a mission. And if you don't have buy-in from all your team soldiers, actually you're gonna fail. The mission you're gonna fail because you are you are not by you're not committed to the mission, and you don't have alignment of goals. An individual soldier will have different. Even though yeah, it's easy. If, it's easy, you can just command and do stuff. But if mm-hmm. they are not committed to the mission, or you don't have your goal aligned, you don't explain your mission to all your like, team members. Right, even you are a commander and you don't explain your mission to them and have voice, have, let them have a voice, like their opinions and stuff like that. You know, they'll they'll be disgruntledly carry on a mission. They don't have buy-in. They actually, that, that means you don't have a good team. That means your mission is going to fail. So that's that. That's the only thing I talk about. Anything I learned from any from that book about military. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think okay. actually it's kind of similar idea here. Right? I found that uh, similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the military doesn't necessarily like have a whole lot of trust, like bottom up, like like the mm-hmm. soldiers sort of are just supposed to take what they're told. So, so I mean, yeah, I guess can, yeah. The, yeah well, good I mean, team, I, good team has trust. Good team yes. has trust. Doesn't yes. mean everything in military is a functional team, right? There's a lot of dysfunction mm-hmm. in military teams as well. Nice, and the leader depends who the leader is, right? If the leader know how to build a good team, mm-hmm. then you have a good team, right? But that's why you, yeah, that's why you, you, you need good leaders in the first place to, to do that. Well, the hard part about the military is when you're talking about a mission, you're talking about something that might actually get people killed, right? So there's a exactly. heavy, you know, I guess buying can be harder, right? Because the consequences of failure are about as bad as they can possibly be, right? Yeah. So that's why you need to trust your leader, your commander who is leading you. You trust your life to him because... You actually trust that he has your know, best intention. He he's looking out for you guys, right? Looking for mm-hmm. looking out for you, and he was like maybe sacrificing himself before he has you know let you guys die, basically, right? So that's if you have that kind of leader, you have that kind of trust. The team is gonna be good, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you probably see that in movies too, right? It's very relatable, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very hard. It's very easy to. It's very easy to build a dysfunctional team like you know destroy a team but it's very hard to build a very strong team so Mm -hmm. yeah it's easy to gather a collection of individuals it's hard to make a team make it exactly perfect (laughs) that's the name of the episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's good that's good yeah actually uh I want to go back to the commitment, leg of commitment a little bit. I think there's two things that mention in the book about commitment, leg, leg of commitment. Mm-hmm. The cause of lack of commitment are two, basically. And the first one is a desire for consensus, right? So 
why do you think that would be bad? I mean, is that like the jury problem of like one person doesn't agree and just won't, and you just have to, like, you have to be able to move on even if everyone doesn't agree? Yeah, yeah. The decision, right? Even you don't agree, you have still need to. No decision is better than a decision is better than no decision, basically, right? Now your mm-hmm. team, otherwise, just paralyzed, right? So a bad team would try to get consensus, which is bad for the team, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, desire comfort. And, and do you, were you going to say anything, Mike? Well, I was just saying, well, it, it, I, it, this may not be related, but it just, it, I was thinking about like a long I just want to say I disagree with you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, like a while ago, you talked about like how when you're exploring options, like, mm. And you think about like you may you could explore like a hundred different options for a certain problem. Mm. Like it's often better to just like explore like you know like the first ten and pick the best one. Like you know basically pick the best one out of the ten. Mm. So it's often yeah. like like there's this trade off between like efficiency versus like getting an op like globally optimal solution. Yeah, and you know basically like finding a like more locally optimal solution is mm. like but doing so in a reasonable amount of time is probably the best course of action so it's like if people yeah. are like if there's two ideas that are bouncing back and forth and most people say one idea is probably pretty good then just go with it for the sake of efficiency mm. so yeah really uh, yeah you're talking about a non atomo uh, stopping problem in computer science Yes. Yeah. Also, kind of remind me of maybe it's the calculating too much, but not thinking. Enough. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then, ah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one, I think, the second uh, cause of lack of commitment is the desire for certainty. Right. Mm. What do you think? It's very related, I guess. I mean, like, oh, well, if a consensus is, you know, symbolic of certainty, like, because everyone's like, yeah, that's the answer. Like, that, <laughs> yeah. that, I guess, lends itself to being like, oh, this is a really good solution. Like, everyone's on board. But, yeah, you know, the world is not a perfect machine. So, yeah, I could I could see how it come from that. But could you have it separate from disagreements and be like, everyone agrees this is like the best thing they idea we think we have but you know no one's incredibly confident that it will work right they just we no one can think of anything better right they're like oh the best odds are 50 50 something right that right Mm -hmm. so if you're even with a consensus if you're not confident maybe it's you'll miss could miss commitment which would of course make the odds even worse is that where the book was going at you or uh i think the book was going when i the decision is like there's no it's well about like decision is uncertain in nature right when you like in a team you make a decision you, and there's a multiple decision and you pick a, a, a single decision you don't know how you're going to work out right mm-hmm. and a lot of times uh, people a desire the team member desire to have a certainty of the decision you know try to uh, Pick the best decision in your way, right? So, right, yeah. anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, I think we beat that to the death now. So let's <laughs> let's kind of conclude right, this discussion with the 
with something that a definition that actually I really like what the book has, which is a definition of politics, right? Politics like in a you know company in an organization and stuff like that. So before I reveal, I guess the definition that I like from the book, I I guess what's your definition of politics for you guys? Don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's. I mean, because some... we talk about politics all the time. Say, oh, our <laughs> company, oh, yeah. this, this company has too much politics, and especially in academia, right? University, there's a lot of politics. But what exactly is politics, right? There's, in that, I don't think it's very defined anywhere. Yeah, in that context, I feel like politics is almost like the implication if someone's playing politics is that they're doing things for their own benefits, not the benefit of the team or the group or the country mm. or whatever. Okay. And I, I think that stems from the idea that, you know, people often think politicians are just trying to enrich themselves and not actually like help the country. Right. Mm. So in that sense, that's what that's pretty good definition means. actually. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Uh, I mean, I just think about, yes. Like when uh, people, are, well, I wasn't necessarily thinking about playing. When I think about someone says like my politics, what they're talking about is like my belief, like beliefs about issues, like essentially the collection of beliefs about issues that are, I guess, issues that like relate to society more at large or like at least other people. Mm-hmm. So. Wait, what, what about people saying that you're playing politics in a company, in a team? Yeah. What, does that, what does that mean to you? Well, it's it almost like a different definition from the like. We're not like talking about like word, politics right? instead of I believe. We're talking about like playing politics. In a oh company. well, well that's politicking, I guess. Yes. So. Yeah. What does that? Yes. Yeah, so what does that mean to you? No one says someone... politicking. Okay, I'm just gonna say this. Well, well, I would say politicking. Yeah. I mean, I think Matt basically covered politicking. So I mean, it's it's really yes. It's just sort of. uh you're trying to, I mean, I think you're trying to maybe like get on the good side of someone who could help you that often means like, so if you're politicking, it's like, you're maybe sucking up to the boss, like trying to find like common ground with the boss to try to sway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like a promotion in your favor or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I, I mean, I think it comes from basically like, politics like politicians mm-hmm. will often like politic to get voters right like gotcha. they'll promise people like hey i share all the same values you do so vote for me right yeah so. i think yeah no those both of you got definitions very similar to what i had i think in mind previously right and so in the book's definition i like it because it's a bit different from like, i ever heard before right so the, the book's definition of politics actually is when people choose their work and actions based on how they want others to react rather than based on what they really think, right? So in a team, right, that's when you have playing like, there's too much politics in a team is because you, know, you are choosing your words and action based on what you want other people to react rather than what you really think. So you're not really being truthful to others and then just, you know, same things because you saying this what other people want to hear, right? Anyway, I actually i i like i like it because it's counter to like it's different from why, you know, what why uh, known before like, but 
anyway, what do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, like all, like as soon as you brought this up, I just think about like, I mean, yes, politicians will say things to like, uh, you know, yeah. essentially like, you know, they'll say things to keep voters. And it's, I mean, it's sort of, it makes sense, I guess, right? Because like we've talked about like the foundation of anything is like an absolute trust. Like you're able to like express, I like say, I don't know, or you're able to say like, this is one of my weaknesses or whatever, but politicians lack trust in voters because mm. voters could vote them out. Like, mm. like it's literally like, as you say, like, you know, the voters literally could say what you said the person would say, like, oh, you'll, you should be fired because you can't do it. Like, mm. so it's sort of, it's interesting. So when you brought it up, I was like, oh, that's a good fit. So. Hmm. <laughs> so. Who are you, Matt? I think the, the definition you gave, it's pretty, I mean, I think it's a, it's similar. It's just maybe a little bit more down to the sort of like, like the bear, like more precise is the way yeah. I'd say it, right? Exactly, like, yeah. You know, it's very precise. Fundamental, more fundamental. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. More fundamental. You're 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 doing something because I said like, oh, to benefit yourself, which is very often what people are going to be politicking for mm-hmm. to help themselves, but not necessarily. Like in general, yeah, they're doing something to get the right reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I yeah, I think just realize I like it because I think it's more fundamental than. Because a lot of time you have definition, but it doesn't really apply to a lot of stuff. But this one actually, since it's more fundamental, it kind of applies to a lot of scenarios, kind of in a way. You can see it through net, this definition, the lens of this definition. You can recognize, okay, there's a lot of politics here because you're doing this, this, this. Yeah. And I feel like the way it's defined maybe helps. I like how the way it's defined frames it in a way that makes it seem worse. Cause I feel like yeah. there's plenty of people who will be, you know, say, you know, of course I'm going to do what's benefits for me. Right. Like why else would I not do what's best for me? And mm-hmm. sometimes in some situations it's like, well, maybe, you know, it's not necessarily easy to say that's wrong or right. But, you know, when you frame it as you're not saying what you think you're saying what, what you want to get the right reaction, you know, it's more clear that, you're basically manipulating people around you Mm -hmm. um, rather than, you know, yeah, being honest, which is another way, you know, beyond whether it's self-centered serving or not is another, you know, question of, is that actually what you want to be doing? Right. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I like your wrapping it around. So that's very good. (laughs) Cool. That's all I got. All right. I don't need to read this book. <laughs> yeah, it's a very simple book, actually. It's a very, very easy book, too. All right. I have one question for you. So, assuming you're, you know, a mid level lackey like me and Mike or you, and not, you know, <laughs> running an executive team, you know, what does, what would you say, you know, as a lesson for someone who's not running the team to take out of this? Is it just try to trust people, tell them they're dumb and uh, buy in, you know, or? Or you just have to hope your team leader knows what they're doing? Yeah, I think uh, if you're not leading a team, I think uh, I think there's a book like Leading Without Leading, like Leading Without Being a Team Leader, but I haven't read it yet, so I don't know how to do it. <laughs> but I would say one thing helpful for you is to recognize you can still build trust with your team members, right? Even though you're not, not an executive, you still have a, if you want your team to work better, you know, try to build trust by, you know, 
like talking to them, you know, see where they're coming from. And like literally where they come from, like, hey, where are you come from? Like what's what's your background? What's your network? So one just a small talk a little bit, like uh, what's your like what's your favorite childhood? What 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 you done? That way you can is is a very quick way to build as you mentioned earlier, like report and stuff like that. Then you can slowly build trust over time. Right. That way you can once you know that you can say, um, you know, you know you can maybe maybe more criticize or more openly, right? You, that way, yeah. So I think you can still build trust with your team. That way, your team, your small team around you, like even in I think I mentioned earlier, like executive, not engineering team, like research teams, right? Just just the way you divide up tasks, right? If you want the the research to go well, you know, you need to have a debate. Like voice your basically voice your voice just say whatever you really feel about this right be trustful because it, it's not really worth it to stay uh not stay in a team that doesn't value that i guess is like life is too short i guess to to uh, and another way to recognize when you are in a dysfunctional team if nothing you can you can do things to change it to make it better but if you recognize you are in your company and it's like that, like maybe the executive team is very dysfunctional, and then your people around you are pay saying things that they don't really, you know, just being playing politics, not what they really, not open to each other. And then maybe it's a, it's a, recognize that, then maybe you should move on to a better other place where you can find a team like that, a good team, basically. Yeah. I think it actually made me realize, like, made me think about the thing I'm working right now in my company. Like is I actually really enjoy it because uh, we actually, you know, talk about stuff very openly. Right? Well of we course do. you have to say that, right? <laughs> you're working for them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I don't know if I can trust you, Shu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you no. don't have to. But anyway, so yeah, anyway, so yeah, that's that's why I actually find it I like the job I have right now because I really enjoy like working in the team. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point is to like make a cognizant effort of just being like, I have an idea here that like I could just let go, but like make a point of expressing it. Yeah. And like it's better to, you know, try to open up, Mm -hmm. throw things out there. And if, you know, if it turns out to be toxic to like that, then maybe you don't want to be there. Yeah. It's a good way to test your value your team is good or not, right? It's your, uh, yeah. And I would say, and I would say don't like if your team when your teammates like you know say something like you know and that like if they're starting to be expressive maybe don't frame it as them being dumb but yeah talk to them about why you disagree with the idea. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Also, in the future, if you ever leading a team, you make sure you have the right people. If you have a people that is not really like good for the team, you know you have to made a good decision like fast decision to then and go we very 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 quickly because it's toxic you're gonna ruin your team right if you if you can't because if you're one person in there yeah you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose all your other team team members too so yeah just because of that too yeah anyway cool all right that was good show thank you yeah yeah i enjoyed that actually i joined you guys tonight uh talk about like uh, just have a different views on things, and then we actually can discuss. Mm-hmm. Discuss my understanding a little bit better, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy getting the insight and knowledge you gain from reading a book. 
an hour instead of having to spend five hours reading it or something. Honestly, um, like that diagram was good. I feel like, you know, like how, I don't, how many pages does the book show? I'm not sure. It's pretty short. Also, the, the book actually, it starts with a story. It's the fictional story about like, uh, you see a new CEO coming, try to, uh, try to make, make the team better. So it's kind of like fictional business book, but it's still in a business mm-hmm. context. And then, I like those. It's easy to read personally for me. So it, it's like historical fiction, but like business fiction. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's probably maybe two hundred pages. Yeah, it's very, very know, well. No, but that diagram I felt like was a really good summary of you know. Or I mean, yeah. obviously, I didn't write it, but that mm-hmm. did a good job Sounds summarizing it. Sounds so. good. Yeah, but you guys definitely should read it in the future if you ever nice leading a team or something like that. Refresh on it. VP. <laughs> cool. So next next week, next two weeks, we talk about K-pop. Is that right, Mike? That's right. Mike's talking about K-pop. Yeah, we can talk about Focusing K-pop. on the big questions in society here on the Junto Club. Remember, yeah. we're trying to improve ourselves, understand the world around us. K-pop. Wow. I mean, entertainment is a big driver in society. So. Mm-hmm. It is true. Uh, is it making us degenerate or is it, you know, the next economic thing to invest in? There's a lot of angles you can take on this. Well, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, right. I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful Jake will be on because I need him. He, he is the expert on this. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, plan asking that was good. If not, then, you know, we can just like, hold, hold off the topic until he's, he's good. Alright, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll let him know about that today. Yeah, cause I, I, I mentioned it to him a while ago, but I want to double confirm. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I, yeah. I, I think two weeks is enough time for Matt to come out with a, a topic. So, <laughs> I guess. A backup topic, a backup. I'll push for like, even if we had to record like on a Sunday, like if we had to record like at a slightly different time, I'll push for K-pop for it to be the next topic. So. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So, should I anything else before I end recording? No, I think again in recording. All right. See everyone in two weeks. Junto Club.